giant robot smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots podcast. It is Tuesday, April 23rd. My name is Ben Orenstein. I'm here today with Joe Kuttner. Hey, Joe, how's it going? Hey, Ben. Glad to be here. So you just uh, released a book called The Healthy Programmer. Yeah, it's, uh, it's what I would call a unique guide to health and fitness for people who write code. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that that may sound like an odd way to scope the topic of health and fitness. Uh, certainly, we don't have a monopoly on being unhealthy. Right. Uh, but there are aspects of our job that that lead to unhealthy behaviors. And and while not all programmers have the same lifestyle, uh, there, there are just some things, uh, some demands of this job that uh, – that, that lead to bad habits. Mm-hmm. So uh, you published this with the uh, Pragmatic Programmers? Yeah, that's right. This and, is my second book with them. Right. You also wrote uh, Deploying with JRuby? Yep, that's right. My day job is a programmer. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd hope so. Yeah. So how do you like working with the Prags? must be good if you did it twice. Yeah, they're, uh, they're a great publisher. Um, I, think they, I think they have a lot more to offer than, uh, than, than your typical publisher. And uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in a position to... Uh, to self-publish, and uh, so that's that's why uh, I've chosen to go with them. So, um, can you sum up some of the ideas from the book? Sort of the biggest bang for the buck things mm-hmm. that you that you got in there. Yeah, I think it, it really comes down to uh, being conscious of of these bad habits that we develop, and uh, I think as, as a best as the best example when we're when we're programming. Uh, we often become absorbed in our work, so absorbed that uh, we're focusing intensely and, and we lose sight of other things. And, and oftentimes that's uh, taking care of our body. You know, we're, we're too focused on uh, improving our skills and, and improving the code we're working on. Uh, but we forget uh, that sitting for prolonged periods, uh, hours upon hours, without getting up, without taking a break, without looking away from the screen even, uh, can have uh, terrible consequences on uh, our metabolism, our eyes, our joints. And so so the premise of the book is we need to actively intervene on, the, uh, on those bad habits and become conscious of them. And uh, I provide some actionable advice for doing that. But ultimately, uh, it comes down to uh, being intentional about taking breaks, uh, going for walks, uh, I think we undervalue those uh, small amounts of uh, physical activity. Uh, I, I know too many people, myself at times, that if, I, if I'm not going to set aside a half hour or an hour for a full dedicated gym workout, I'm just going to do nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think, that's, I think that's the biggest mistake, and that's, uh, that's what I'm trying to help people overcome. It mm-hmm. doesn't take much to, uh, to really make a big difference. Mm. I've watched... Um someone's talk on fitness of uh, the the studies that have been done on exercise basically and the amount required to get sort of a decent like a huge amount of the benefit is actually rather small yeah that's right uh the 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 biggest difference the biggest impact from uh from exercise and, and physical fitness comes in that initial difference between doing nothing and just a little bit of walking every mm-hmm. day so to the to the dismay of 
um, my friends who, who compete in Ironmans and train for hours a day, uh, you know, doing several hours of intense exercise a day, you know, appears to be good for you, but it, it's sort of a diminishing return. It's that initial, um, what I argue is the first 20 minutes of moderate activity every day that has the biggest impact on your health. Mm. And th- there's also been um, some more, uh, some very new science uh, around high-intensity inter- interval training, which uh, is these studies suggest that as little as three minutes a week, you know, in 20-minute intervals or 20-second uh, intervals, uh, can have humongous impacts on uh, on your ability to uh, get blood out of uh, fat out of your bloodstream and and process insulin and and all of these things. Wow, that sounds mm-hmm. shockingly small. Yeah, that's still very that's still very new science, and I think there's a lot of uh, debate around that. But it there's some promising results. Mm. So during this moderate at, uh, level of activity, do I need to be sweating and breathing hard, or can it mm-hmm. be like walking around? No, absolutely not. It, it it should be walking around. It should be uh, it should be moderate. Um, I I think the uh, the what you're trying to do is get your your heart rate to about fifty to sixty percent of its maximum uh, in 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 my recommendation, mm-hmm. and that's the equivalent uh, of about taking one thousand steps in a ten minute period, or walking up stairs, and. So if you think of yourself as walking upstairs, you'll breathe a little bit heavier. Um, you'll be tired at the end, but you won't necessarily sweat or need to change your clothes. Yeah, so. sure. Hmm. Um, so I read a, a great book a couple months ago called Brain Rules. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've read that. Yeah, and my, the biggest thing I took away from it was that exercise actually improves brain function, mm-hmm. which I didn't know and was kind of amazing to me. And after reading that, I got so inspired and like I started uh, biking to work after that. And I can't believe the difference in how I feel during the day if I bike in versus if I take the train in. Like I, I feel smarter. I really do feel more productive and like capable of dealing with things. And my mood is better too. It's just like all these benefits happen from like a 25 minute ride into work. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and this is all very new science too. And, and that's probably why you haven't seen it before. I think, uh, it was just about 12 years ago that uh, a group of researchers found uh, that mice running on a spinning wheel were producing large amounts of a protein in their brain, uh, more so than mice that were, uh, that were just sitting around. And this protein, BDNF, uh, has a really profound effect on our gray matter. It promotes the growth of neurons. It... Uh, uh, it protects them from damage and stress, and it actually strengthens uh, the connections between neurons, uh, in- essentially by increasing the voltage. Uh, so, so this protein, when it was discovered, uh, led to a great deal of research connecting exercise to cognition in humans. So there's, there have been studies showing that uh, people learn vocabulary words 20% better after just one bout of exercise. Mm. Uh, there's also studies showing that people uh, uh, memorize strings of letters more accurately after just a, a, a short round of exercise. Hmm. And so I could go on at length about how, uh, how those, <laughs> how those uh, mechanisms happen uh, or how they work. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of interesting science there. Hmm. The thing that, that struck me was that I spend this time 
Uh, I spent a lot of time trying to become a better programmer um, by learning things and uh, talking to people and trying to write different kinds of code. And it didn't occur to me that I could just get a little exercise before work and, you know, have a boost from that and all, all these other boosts as well. But like I, that link right there was what really sold me on it. It's like I could, I could actually, I'm going to be a better programmer at work if I bike into work. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We spend so much time uh, working on how to improve our, our .vimrc file or uh, mm-hmm. you know, all, of, all of our programming skills. Uh, and it turns out that some of the most important skills or some of the most important things we can improve upon uh, come, from this, uh, come from the health of our body and, and just generally taking care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. I think it really comes from the fact that uh, our our bodies are uh, we have to think of them as systems uh, as as opposed to individual you know we have a brain and we have a, a you know these other parts uh, it, it's uh, one one doctor that I uh, reference in my book equates it to the the standard model in physics where you have all of these different uh, rules and uh, and variables and and when they're all set just right. Uh, we get we get physics, and if you change one, you can't just turn one knob and have it all work the same except this one part. Mm. And it's true with our bodies. Uh, you know, uh, a deficiency in vitamin Z, uh, in vitamin D can lead to uh, wide ranging health consequences, and likewise, uh, not getting these small amounts of activity can have broad effects. Mm. So is that is that the biggest lesson from the book, which is be aware of your habits, be aware of what you're doing and try to just mix in little bits of activity and, and move around a lot more. Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, I cover many topics, but it, it really, it really comes down to that. Uh, I also think that, uh, focusing, I think it's important to focus on these, these small, simple things. Like I also recommend, uh, when you do structured workouts, if you go, if you are going to the gym, if you're going for a run, to focus on these small incremental changes, I call it sort of kaizen for your health. Mm-hmm. Don't don't worry about uh, um, you know adding, doubling the amount of weight that you're lifting this week, or or doubling the speed at with at which you run. Just look for some small, quantifiable uh, thing that you can improve upon. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just as you would uh, in in any sort of structured process for the way you work. And, uh, and it's, it's those changes that, it will, that will help keep you motivated, mm. I think. Because th- these changes to our health, especially if you're trying to lose weight, happen over long, long periods of time. And they mm. often take years to become permanent. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we're just, as humans, very bad at recognizing that kind of change. Mm. So focusing on day-to-day progress is is important. Yeah. Have you read uh, Starting Strength by Mike, uh, Mark Ripito? No, I haven't. Oh, yeah. I, I'm familiar with the book, but I haven't read it through. Yeah. His, his philosophy or his, the, the program is basically, here are the lifts you should do and add five pounds every week. And this mm-hmm. will get you through the first nine or 10 months. And the challenge is to just not get fancy. He says, like, most of what I do when I'm coaching is, like, you know, I coach technique, but there's so much, like, can I throw in this or can I do this or change this thing? And it's, like, just a linear progression works amazingly well for new people for a long time. And you just, it's just about that quantifiable small increase every time that forces adaptation in your body. Mm-hmm. That's right. 
yeah, I think if um, you have to get to a point of being, I mean, if you really want to make significant improvement, um, if you want to build muscle mass, if you want to lose large amounts of weight, you have to push yourself to uh, places that are uncomfortable. And I think that discourages a lot of people. Uh, but I, I think most people find that after some time, uh, there's a sort of pleasure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, actually, I was talking to Chad Fowler about this, and I asked him if he, uh, if he enjoyed running. And uh, he said, uh, there, there's some definition of enjoy that applies to the, what I think about running. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it, yeah, there's a certain pleasure with uh, pushing yourself to these limits uh, and getting beyond your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, so you have a section in your book about uh, standing desks mm-hmm. and about the, the perils of sitting too much. Can you uh, touch on that a little bit? Right. So the uh, this all sort of stems from uh, some research, the most significant of which was published in 2009. Uh, it was a study that was done over a 12-year period on 17,000 Canadians. And this group of researchers uh, from the Pennington Biomedical Research Laboratory in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, they they adjusted they took a number of participants these 17,000 Canadians and adjusted for things like uh diet, age, smoking habits, physical activity levels and they found that the participants who sat the most during that 12-year period were 50% more likely to die prematurely from any cause. And what's most important about that study is that the part, uh is that it was controlled for physical activity levels. So the participants who were going to the gym for a half hour you know, getting 20 to 30 minutes of walking each day, we're still more likely to die prematurely if they sat for the remaining you know, 10 to 15 hours a day. Hmm. And there are, are uh, a number of other studies uh, like this that connect sitting to mortality, sitting to uh, uh, diabetes, heart disease, and even cancer. Hmm. So, uh, but what we find is that uh, the solution isn't simply taking a new position. Uh, certainly, I, I do advocate for the use of standing desks, but you have to be careful in how you use them because there are dangers associated with standing for prolonged periods. In fact, you really shouldn't uh, probably stand all day long. Uh, standing puts uh, a lot of strain on your circulatory system. Uh, it can cause uh, problems with your arteries, and it can even cause blood clots. So, uh, so if you are predisposed to developing blood clots, uh, you probably shouldn't use a, a standing desk for very long at all. Mm. But it does, uh, standing desks do uh, have a lot of benefits as well. Standing uh, increases your caloric expenditure uh, by about 50 calories per hour. And it also makes you more likely to uh, just walk around and be slightly more active, which as we've discussed is is very important. I think, like like I said, you, you can't undervalue that small amount of activity. Mm. And actually, there, there have been studies uh, done in particular with students that have shown uh, that people are more likely. It's not just a gut feeling. It's, it's been shown scientifically that these students are more likely to walk around. Mm. Now, there's also been studies done with uh, walking desks. And uh, these are clearly good for our health. Uh, they show great signs of, of improving uh, metabolism and whatnot. But they've also been shown in those same studies to, uh, uh, to reduce our productivity by about 15%. Mm. So it, 
what I say is I'm not going to advocate for the use of, of walking desks because everything I try to advocate for is intended to help you get better at your job. But uh, if you use one or if you like it, to, you know, by all means, do it. Hmm. It's surprising that productivity would go down considering the things we talked about. Well, that the benefits well, with, to the brain of exercise. Yeah. Well, with the walking, it's uh, it's simply a matter of dexterity. Uh, ah. And what they've shown is uh, now typically when they, these tests are being done with uh, typists and people doing true typing activities, which I think is probably uh, atypical uh, of what a programmer would do. I think we spend a lot more time thinking. <laughs> Hopefully. And, yeah. And uh, and so I, I, these tests may not reflect exactly what we would find uh, for programmers. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, the, I mean, I think the the – the movement probably does have an impact on our, on our, the function of our brain. And, uh, uh, it's just, I I think as with many of these topics, you have to find what works for you and that what works for you isn't necessarily what works for everybody else. So it's, it's important to experiment and try things out. Mm -hmm. Do you you use a standing desk? Uh, I do from time to time. Um, so if if sitting is killing me and standing isn't perfect, is the the key to sort of switch between the two? Yeah, that's really what it comes down to: is changing positions as often as you can. Okay. Uh, I recommend, uh, and, and this comes from uh, a number of experts, changing positions every twenty minutes. And I actually use a timer to do that. Hmm. Um, you, you don't have to leave your desk. You don't have to stop working. Uh, and I find that it's it's refreshing and uh, and. Do you, when you uh, say change it, position, do you mean go from sit to stand or back? Yes. Uh, if you've been sitting for 20 minutes, stand up. If you've been standing for 20 minutes, sit down. Uh, I actually like to have at least three positions that I can work from at any time. Hmm. So in, in my office, I have a standing height desk with a drafting stool. So I can switch between standing and sitting on the drafting stool. I have a, uh, a regular height desk with a regular chair as well as a um, uh, an a Swiss ball, an exercise ball that I sit on, and uh, just a comfortable reading chair. So it's about five different positions that I like to rotate through uh, as much as I can. Mm. So you do sort of pomodoros for positions? Yep, absolutely. Uh, when, I, when I'm doing a pomodoro workout, uh, usually every, every iteration is from a new position. Uh, and, you know, I, of course, I also try to work... Uh, uh, some physical activity into those breaks. And that's something else I talk about in the book mm. um, is this thing I call the Pomodoro workout. And it's sort of an extension of the Pomodoro technique where you set a timer for 20 to 30 minutes, whatever your preference is, focus on a particular task, stop when the timer goes off, and then uh, take a five-minute break and repeat. And uh, for a long time, uh, when I was first using the, the Pomodoro technique, I uh, I would just surf the web or check my email for those five minutes. Uh, but I eventually learned that uh, getting away from the desk, uh, going for a walk, you know, doing some push-ups have, uh, really gives me that, that brain boost that, that we've sort of talked about. Mm-hmm. And I've actually experimented with uh, doing a lot, you know, just everything from simple walking to, uh, like I said, push-ups. I've tried uh, box jumps, which are a little bit more intense. And I've even tried going outside and and sprinting <laughs> mm. uh but I've, i find that the the lighter intensity activity is a little bit a little bit better you mm-hmm. can, i think you can overdo it in in some circumstances yeah I, i'm a huge fan of the pomodoro technique even if you don't work in exercise or or anything just 
for me, it's, it helps to focus a lot because I start the timer and I've just trained myself. Like when the timer's going, I don't do anything else except work. And for me, the hardest thing is like the very first Pomodoro. It's like getting into the, the groove and starting like unpacking the problem and figuring out what needs to be done. And when I'm like, well, it's just going to be 30 minutes. It's no big deal. I'm just going to start it and get going. And it, it, it works very well. And what I find is like for the first five minutes, I'm like, my brain naturally wants to page out and do something else. Like, what's my email? Like, what's going on with the email? What's going on in Campfire? And but by like minute six, seven, eight, nine, it's like, okay, I'm in the zone. Like things are happening. And when the timer goes off, I am always kind of surprised. Mm-hmm. So even if even, uh, working in the exercise sounds great, but for people that haven't tried this, give it a shot because it, it's it's was huge for my productivity actually. Yeah, and I think what I found is even when I'm not doing intentionally a Pomodoro workout, I, I've sort of developed a natural habit of taking those those breaks or interrupting myself uh, intentionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's really interesting how much of an impact that has. Just sort of step away, reset, uh, and come back with you know at least one new idea when you get started again. Right, yeah. It's surprising how often that solves the problem that you were working on. Mm-hmm. I come back from it. I'm like, oh, okay, that's what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but also, I, I liked what you said about getting away from the desk as your break. I think that's actually pretty huge mm-hmm. because it, it feels like, oh, I'll take a break and I'll check my email or I'll you know go to Hacker News or something like that. That really, I don't think, is a break. It's like it doesn't recharge your brain. It doesn't make your body feel better. It doesn't feel different enough. It's just like you're doing the same thing except you're not getting anything done. Yeah, yeah, I find the same thing. And the other advantage of, of getting up and away, uh, especially if you're doing some some moderately intense activity, is that you'll get your heart rate up, you'll get your blood flowing, and which uh, increases oxygen and glucose levels in your brain, mm-hmm. and that's what gives that short term improvement to cognition that mm. uh, helps you get the most out of that next iteration. Mm. So I think you you have a couple sections on vitamin D in the book. Mm-hmm. Is that a really common deficiency among office workers? Yeah, it, it appears to be a, a common deficiency among the population, mm. uh, even in uh, uh, locations like Australia, mm-hmm. uh, where uh, one study found that more than 50% of, uh, in this case, office workers in Australia, a country that's not particularly known for a lack of sunlight, uh, they have vitamin D deficiencies. Now, the definition of a, a vitamin D deficiency is uh, a little unclear, but uh, what we believe to be appropriate levels, uh, it seems that the majority of folks are not meeting that, uh, especially uh, uh, folks of uh, Hispanic origin or, uh, or folks with darker skin who live in higher latitudes. Uh, it's a particular problem. And this, this can manifest itself in a number of different ways. And the most uh, severe is rickets and, and that kind of thing. But it's also uh, in, later in life shown to increase the, uh, the frequency of bone fractures uh, as well as cavities and uh, other things related to calcium and bone strength. Mm. But as I said before, uh, you know, our bodies are, are very complex systems and uh, – uh, a deficiency like this can have really wide impacts, uh, and it appears there are indications, uh, although not conclusive, that uh, vitamin D deficiency affects uh, uh, your intelligence, your your risk for cancer, 
uh, your immune system, and a host of other things. And while a lot of that is still emerging science, uh, there's, uh, there's some good indications, especially with regard to the immune system, that uh, a lack of sunlight ultimately is uh, not, not what our bodies need. Mm. And I think that now it's important to differentiate between oral vitamin D and uh, vitamin D that's synthesized in our skin from the sunlight. Yeah, can, uh, can you make up for it with a supplement? I, I think that's, uh, that's still a heavily debated topic. Uh, it, it, there are organizations that have said, uh, no, you cannot make up for it with the oral supplement. I think uh, there have been some reports from uh, the International Institute of Medicine uh, and some others that have actually recommended against taking the uh, the oral supplement. Mm. Uh, but w- whether that's true or not, it, it's pretty clear that the uh, the mechanism that has evolved over millions of years uh, is probably the best way to get to get the vitamin. Yeah, I had an interesting realization while you were talking about how if you like try to change something like your vitamin D levels, it tends to affect other things. It's like. The body is not a well-designed, object-oriented system. <laughs> like, you can't change something in isolation. Everything affects everything else. Yeah, yeah that's a, a good analogy. There's a lot of complexion going on in there. Mm-hmm. So, how? Uh, let, let's take yesterday, for example. How much do you think you were outside? It's the, is the weather starting to get warm there? It's starting to get warm. It was about mm-hmm. 50 at its highest, um, but mostly hung out in the 40s, I think. Um, I was not outside very much at all. Yeah, and I bet if you were outside, you probably had sleeves on. Yes, for sure. So I I think that's pretty typical. Most of us, uh, the most sunlight we see, especially in in the winter months, uh, is, uh, well, in the Northern Hemisphere, is uh, um, in the morning on the way to work, and if we're lucky, in the evening, Mm. uh, home from work, Mm -hmm. and we're probably covered up. But really, uh, what we should be getting is about 10 minutes of uh, sunlight exposure on, on large areas of skin, like our shoulder and arms. Mm. And that's enough to provide us with uh, vitamin D for one day, essentially. Hmm. If you have darker skin, uh, it can uh, you'll need a little bit more, as much as six, six times the amount for uh, very dark skin. Mm. So do you have any advice for trying to maintain these habits? Because I feel like, this is, like a lot of these things are really easy to start. And they're hard to keep with. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, it, so I, I, I talk about this in the book. Uh, there, there definitely isn't a silver bullet. But I think, uh, I think it really comes down to, and actually this is another thing that Chad Fowler had mentioned, uh, is it comes down to having a system. Uh, if, you, if you try to change these habits chaotically, uh, I think you're you're much less likely to be successful. But if you take a structured approach, uh, and and you follow uh, you know a process every day, uh, and you, uh, for example, uh, let's say you want to correct uh, a particular habit like going to the vending machine at work every day at two o'clock, um, you you may start by uh, I actually recommend writing it down. Like it's uh, like a cucumber test, uh, like it's you know something out of behavior-driven design. Uh, when I get the urge or whatever drives the urge to uh, to cause this habit, uh, try to identify that, 
write it down? Is it is it uh, that you're hungry? Uh, is there a, uh, you've just gotten out of a particular meeting or, or some some cue mm-hmm. that that drives that habit? Uh, then you will do whatever whatever it is. Walk down the hall to get to the vending machine to get whatever that reward is. Because each habit, every habit has three components essentially: the cue, the routine, and the reward. Mm-hmm. And it's about you've uh, read changing these. You've read Power of Habit, I see. Yes, yes. Great absolutely. book, by the way. Mm-hmm. Recommended. And uh, yeah, the the uh, the way we change habits is by keeping the same. Uh, the, the cues aren't going away. That's just the way it is. And and the rewards. The goal is to change the routine and and keep the same reward. So, uh, if you can find a new routine that gives you the same benefit, for example, going to the vending machine may not be about. Uh, about getting the the uh, the sugar boost or whatever it is, it may be about bumping into people in the cafeteria and socializing. And if you can find other ways of doing that, uh, you're likely to uh, to be able to break that habit. Hmm. So, so it's important to uh, back to my point. It's important to be intentional about it. Uh, it's important to I, I think I think it's important to write things down. I find that to be the most effective way to uh, change habits. The most effective way to uh, you know, uh, improve my training for, for whatever physical fitness goals I'm working towards. Mm. Hmm. Sounds good. So I, I wanted to let you know that, um, so you gave a talk at, I think it was called Big Ruby or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in Dallas. And uh, I saw your talk on Confreaks, which made me want to get your book and have you on the podcast and all that. So your marketing is working. <laughs> that particular <laughs> That particular technique is good. Well, it's you know it's um, it's it's interesting. It's something that uh, a lot of people just just get and they say, yeah, that's something I'm interested in. But there's also a lot of people who are uh, rather surprised by, <laughs> like I said, it's a strange way to scope the topic of health and fitness. Um, uh, so I think uh, I don't know. I think uh, some people are interested in it and some people are not. But those that are. Uh, certainly are are drawn to these ideas it's interesting yeah it's interesting how like you said the scoping it's interesting how you can take a topic which is covered by a lot of people in a lot of different ways and grab a niche and Mm -hmm. you know make x for that niche and it'll work like i was i was in the library the other day looking at like investment books and there's like you know investing for retirees investing for rich people investing for bored people investing for people that love the internet like it's just it's it's a good way of taking something which is a huge topic with a huge market and saying let's tailor this towards a smaller audience and you know make it specific for them and it will seem more approachable for them and more tailored and they'll like that Mm -hmm. yeah and i uh i think it comes down to uh you know everybody's different and everybody's got uh uh, different needs, different tastes. I talk about that in the book with regard to diet. Uh, you know, one of the reasons there's so many diet plans out there and different approaches is that uh, you know not everybody likes grapefruit. It's uh, not everybody likes meat. So it, you have to find you have to find things that work for you and that fit in into your lifestyle. And there isn't necessarily a uh, a one size fits all fitness plan or, or diet. But uh, I think by like you said, narrowing these things down to a particular niche, you, um, I think you're more likely to be successful with folks. Mm. So what's next for you? 
<laughs> well, um, I'll, I'll, of course, try to stay healthy. I feel obligated to now. Yeah, you better. But uh, um, I'm working on some interesting projects. Uh, like I said, I, I'm not sure if I said, but I, I'm 100% remote uh, freelancer. So I do a lot of uh, remote pair programming. And uh, that's become a topic of interest, not only for me, but it seems in the community it's uh, becoming more and more popular. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's something I think deserves some attention. Mm. Cool. Uh, so it's been about 35 minutes. I think you and I have been sitting for a little too long. <laughs> so uh, maybe we should wrap up and then go stand and walk around. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so if people want to get in touch with you, what's a good way to do that? Well, I'm, uh, I'm Codefinger on uh, I, uh, IRC and, and Twitter. Uh, I hang out in the JRuby channels on Freenode, JRuby and Torquebox. Uh, those are two open source projects I contribute to and work on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, my email address is joe at logichouse.com. Logichouse is uh, the consultancy that I've that, uh, that I do my work through. And that's H-A-U-S? H-A-U-S, yes. Yep. And books are Deploying with JRuby and The Healthy Programmer from The Prags. Cool. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. Today is episode number 46. If you enjoy notes and shows and notes about shows, you can access the show notes at thoughtbot.com slash podcasts slash 46. Today's podcast was recorded by Anna Mariola, edited by Edward Lovell, and produced by Chad Pytel. Joe, thanks very much for stopping by. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, take care. Thank you.